The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Radical Mentoring hosted a track called Activate Your Men, Transform Your Church. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook written by their founder, Reggie Campbell. It's called Fill Your Seats. Download this ebook at no cost to you by going to discipleship.org slash radical. We are um, Radical Mentoring. We are a, a ministry, 501c3, um, out of Atlanta. All our stuff is free. We, are, uh, we were founded by me. Um, I did what you're going to hear about seven years before I started trying to evangelize it to anybody. Um, the Lord kind of woke me up one night and said, you're just doing what Jesus did. And I outlined a book called Mentor Like Jesus in literally 15 minutes. If you read it, you'll probably say, yeah, that probably looks like about a 15-minute book. <laughs> uh, but it's actually got some pretty good stuff, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, Kevin Harris over here is our executive director, and back in the back is Trey Brush, who's our church relationships manager. Um, Radical Mentoring is a, um, a three-hour, once-a-month session started with a retreat and ended with a commencement retreat. Uh, the participants read a book, write a one-page net out of that book, not as a book club or <clears throat> a critical piece. It's about this is what I took from the book. This is what I learned. The books are topical. Uh, we have a book on identity. We have a book on uh, prayer, a book on theology. And they are the best that we can find. We're constantly updating these, this list. Uh, we recommend three different books on each topic. If you have a book that's better or that you have a personal affinity for, you can certainly substitute that book in, in the track. Each month, um, <clears throat> the participants memorize two scriptures by topic. Uh, if you're doing the, uh, the topic of decision-making, then you, they would memorize Colossians 3.15. Uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and be grateful. Uh, and that has a key word of de uh, decision making. And then they would also memorize Matthew 5.37 that says, let your yes be yes and your no, no for anything else is the beginning of evil. And that's under the heading of uh, decisiveness. So all the scriptures match up with the books and <clears throat> it's a collective deal. Uh, I have seen over these 18 years that I've done this, that the power of having a man um, memorize 14, 16, 20 scriptures and being able to call them up by topic in the context of conversation or situations uh, wins hands down over massive amounts of, of Bible study um, <clears throat> where he can't recall that in, in the process of making disciples or sharing his faith. Here are growth, there's a growth assignment each month. Uh, these are typically relational assignments. We start at home. Um, if the guys are married in the group, their first assignment is to go home every day or come back into their wife's present and go within five feet of his wife and stay there for five minutes. Non-sexual touches, fine little shoulder squeeze or whatever, but stay away from the popo. You just... Love on your wife by listening to her. You're not going through the mail. You're not checking email. You're not playing with the kids. You are voting her first by your, by your presence and by your attention. And then there are other assignments. When we get to priorities, uh, we have guys track every uh, 15 minutes of their time for a week and then analyze that and, say, and try to find where they're spending their time. And then they get to decide how they want to change the way they allocate their time based on their priorities as demonstrated by their calendar. What happens in radical mentoring is a community gets formed really, really quick. The first um, session after launch, the mentor or mentors tell their story. Full on, no holes barred, not Sunday school version, their story. And the next month, all the guys in the group tell their story on a retreat, typically a 24-hour story retreat. So within 90 days, you've got intimate, open friendships amongst the guys that usually, usually could take years, if ever, to get below sports and the weather and their jobs. <clears throat> and these relationships are formed 
create a community uh, for these guys to walk in through, uh, through uh, the rest of their lives. And then there's a prayer element. Every day they, are, uh, they pray for their mentor, for themselves, and for each other. So those five things are, are present in all of the meetings three hours once a month. <clears throat> we have about 225 active churches. We have 300 more that are in active conversations with us. 2,500 have come to the, our website and expressed interest. We've had about 7,000 men mentored, and we have about 820 mentors. And the momentum has just gone crazy in the last two years as more churches and more men are being engaged in disciple-making. I'll do my best. I got a lung and a half. <clears throat> they didn't take them both. They just replaced one. So. These are some of the churches that we, uh, that we are working with. We have some really big churches uh, like North Point, uh, New Spring. Uh, we have smaller churches in that 225 or whatever it is. We have four of the top 25 churches in the country, but most of our churches are 500 uh, regular attendees or less. Our sweet spot is 1,000 to 2,500. So we, really this works in any context. All you need is one guy and four to eight men who are willing to enter into the covenant that uh, is required for someone to do this. Uh, we have, um, the goal is to, to activate the men in your church. Uh, we give you the free access to our process and all of our tested resources. We are funded by men and churches who've been touched by our ministry. So <clears throat> we, you are hearing about this because people and churches who've already gone and used this have donated to us so we can carry it forward to others. All our resources are self-explanatory uh, and self-sustaining. We find churches uh, regularly who have downloaded our stuff, launched, and finished a season, sometimes two seasons, and we never even knew about it. Because you truly don't need, you don't have to have us. We, we have uh, Kevin and Trey who are available to guide you, answer common sense questions about how to launch, uh, things that we've learned uh, ourselves painfully and by learning from the experience of other men and other churches who've done this. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about engaging men in our culture. And, and this is such old news to everybody, but if you really think about the man that you're trying to get engaged in, in church, this is what you're competing with. <clears throat> Six hours a day on email, almost eight hours a day in the household watching TV, 7.7 .7 hours of TV per week for a sports fan, 47 hours at work on average, and then 10 hours per day for sleep, eating, exercise, and personal maintenance. So, I mean, if you look at all of this in terms of what people are doing with their time, and, and then you look at the environments that they operate in, and you see the excellence that has evolved in every aspect of our lives, it's really tough. I mean, you think about the, the energy level in most of our workplaces. The, the, the pace is fast. They're constantly learning. There's always change. <clears throat> um, if they're involved with anything that involves media, and everybody is, training courses, the internet, <clears throat> production value is high. Uh, it's really quick and it's really effective. Um, <clears throat> Stories are everywhere from great communicators. You know, ESPN, well, their, their, was it 30 series? Is that the name of it? 30, that, 30, 30. Yeah. I mean, great stories. And you can get story after story after story on cable TV. Um, you have uh, great communicators on the Internet. You can podcast yourself to death. And the stories are relatable, understandable, and personal. Um, learning, gaming, banking. Everything's interactive and it works. And that's what we are competing with. As in churches, we're trying to engage men in a culture with such um, billions of dollars behind it and with all the technology that comes with living in 2018. Men are also valued for what they do. What's the first question that you talk to a man about when you meet him for the first time? What do you do? So immediately... They're valued for what they do. Men want to go somewhere. And this has been one of the big discoveries that we've made. As, is, I, and I mentored for 15 years, typically one-on-one. -on -one. 
and it ended up being very uh, helter-skelter. I would, <clears throat> I would be called by a guy who wanted to um, figure out why she wouldn't date him anymore, uh, why he hated his job, why he couldn't get along with his dad, and was all sort of issue-related, even though these were people that were being taught by me in a church context. <clears throat> and what I learned later on is they want to sign in to something where they engage with you but they want to go somewhere. They don't want to engage in a lifelong commitment. They just want to connect with you and have you take them somewhere. Um, men do not want to waste time. And you think about most of the, not most of, that's, that's harsh. Uh, so much of the goody and things that we do in church world um, is, is it's buried in a whole lot of other stuff that's very church-centric. Men want to be challenged. And men want to connect with things that work. The church, by and large, follows an educational model. And I don't know exactly where that came from. I guess um, you church historians could probably explain this. But um, the context is learners and listeners. You walk into a Sunday school class. Someone walks up to the podium and teaches. The pastor comes out and he preaches. So it's a listener-learner kind of educational model. Singing, I read something about singing lately. It's a uniquely human capability. It's also waning in our culture. There's few, fewer people sing. And I'm not sure I like that. I'm just reporting it as I've, as I've heard it. Um, our education and our, our disciple-making is usually in graded and age-specific classes. You know, I can walk into any church and tell them I'm 69 years old and they'll tell me exactly where to go to find community. If it's a group's church, it might be a little more complicated, but I can be grouped up eventually by my demographic uh, age specific as an entry point. And I think for a lot of men, particularly those who've been churched or who have de-churched, there's a sense that, hey, I've been there and done that. This, this, uh, it, it's, this is not new. This is not revolutionary. I've been to church. I, I walked away from church. I grew up in church. And a lot of them are just saying, you know, I just don't believe that anymore. I just don't need church anymore. So there's a lot of forces working against us in trying to engage men in the culture that we're in. A lot of creative people are, are coming up with creative things. Wild game dinners, um, I don't know the right name for it, but Holy Hikes is a large church down in, in, the, in the, uh, South Carolina that does these hikes. And it's almost like the Stations of the Cross. You know, you walk for two miles and then you stop and you have this little conversation. And by the time you get to station number seven, <clears throat> you're a Christian. Uh, tailgates, cookouts, men's breakfast, all the things that we've all done and participate in. And then we'll have big events, um, performances by special artists or speakers. They are kind of easy to put, put together. And you can get men to come, but at the end of the day, how much life change happens and how much is that sustained over time? Engagement is a different thing. <clears throat> Men have very limited relationships with other guys. I mean, the sad truth is that we're all flying solo. By and large, men are flying solo. You are, if you're connected to a church, you're the exception because you aren't flying solo. But you're connected with an insider. You're connected with someone who probably is about the same level of spiritual maturity as you. What about those who are less mature? What about those who are just barely over the line of faith if they are? What, how do we have, what do we do to engage those people and help them move forward in their journey? Calendars conflict with everything. Everything. And what you're going to learn here is that radical process is the only ministry that conforms the, the ministry to the calendar of the participants. Everything else that I know of in church world you say, we're going to do this Wednesday night at 6 or Friday morning at 7 a.m. You announce the calendar and people come or they don't based on their availability. What we do in that very first launch night meeting is the men bring their wife-approved calendars <laughs> and they lay out the dates for the whole year. 
or for the, four, for the whole nine months. And then everybody leaves having signed this covenant commitment that says, I will defend those dates. And you're going to think I'm lying when I tell you this, but I've done this for 18 years. I've had seven absences. And that's, that most of those years were 12 meetings. So once a guy, if, if he hasn't built, uh, if he hasn't committed to a date that's conflicts with a family thing, and it's far enough out that he can plan around it, he'll be there. Plus, once he's met with these other guys, the peer pressure of being there and the mutual sacrifice of guys all coming together at the same time on a pre-agreed to time, it's a powerful motivator for them to engage and <clears throat> complete the course. Limited volitional, volitional time so they avoid commitment. I think that's endemic to men. Um, <clears throat> topics don't resonate with their current felt needs. We are, we are champions at trying to draw men in by a topic. And, and that's, that's what we do. You know, if you, if you think you can get more men involved by offering a financial planning um, seminar or course, then you put that out there and you promote it. Well, if I got my financial plan nailed down, I'm not interested. So we, we try to come up with things, to hooks to bring guys in to engagement, but it's very difficult um, if the guy's current felt needs don't match what we're doing. And then we invite men to participate and not lead. And I think that's one of the travesties is that we just want more people to come. Um, and we will compromise almost every ideal in terms of a program or a process to get more people to come. And that will, it's not what we do with Radical. So we want to take a minute. Um, I don't know whether this is going to work or not with this many people. I'll just let you think about it for a second. Um, why do men not engage in your church? Why, what, what do you think? What have we said here that you disagree with, or what is it that we have not said that you know to be a fact? When you got, when you got something, raise your hand. Yes, sir. I think they're bored. Bored? Okay. Uh, shame for my hidden sin, pornography, so they feel like I can't really open up, let people know who I really am. That's great. That's pervasive. Shame's a huge, that, that's, that's a huge, huge thing. Boredom, too. Yes, sir. More stuff for women and children than men at the church. Yeah. There you go. There's no meaning or challenge. It's just nothing to it. Just show up and just show up. Yeah, I think men who, who, we all have our stuff. And I think once we realize that we have our stuff, we don't feel like we measure up. And so it's easy just to stay at the periphery and not engage. Because if you find out who I really am, you won't accept me. And so you just keep your, keep an arm's length from everybody in the church. I find worth that men are so focused on their families and their jobs and their careers that they don't feel like they need to invest in themselves and in the community. Mm. So they aren't worthy of that investment of time. That's good. Yeah. Fear of failure. Fear of failure? Yeah. I agree. You know, I, th I think oh, this has been one of the clarifying things for us, too. Men don't think of themselves as leaders if they're not executives, sales managers, general managers, whatever. Because we, in our culture, because we are so performance-oriented, we think of leaders as being the guy in charge, right? And what we neglect in that, as men, we are leaders. We have to lead ourselves. We have to lead our families if we're married. If we're single, we got to lead ourselves because we ultimately want to be married. So leadership, leadership is not something we teach. It's something we help them learn how to be. You can't export something you don't have. So that shocks a lot of people here. So this is a lot, like a lot of churches call this leader development groups. And they think, well, leader development groups, <clears throat> what are they going to lead? Well, they're going to be available to lead wherever the Lord places them. But at a minimum, they're going to lead themselves. And they're going to lead at home. Overcommitted. Overcommitted. It goes back to the time. They have limited volitional time because they're so committed to, uh, to other things. 
And man, how many of you guys got kids still at home from high school or under? I don't know how it is uh, here, but in Atlanta, it's rabid. People with kids in two and three sports leagues paying these ridiculous amounts of money for kids to be on the travel team, and now they don't just play on Saturday, now they play on Sunday. And, uh, and it's, it's just amazing how much time and energy and, and discomfort uh, men are pouring into their kids who are likely never gonna see a college scholarship and, and almost for certain not gonna see an NBA or an NFL career ahead of them. But that's, that's something that they've committed to and it's really hard to compete with that because in their minds, they feel like they're becoming or being a good father. And there's an element to that. Any others? Lack of expectation? I think there's a cultural message, right, that men should be good. Like being strong means like you can do it on your own. You don't need a community of connection. Right. They think they're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Show up on Sunday and they think everything's good. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Right. Very much true. And we've become, um, in some ways, emaciated because of our unengagement, our lack of engagement in the church. Um, the pastors can't depend on us. And so the, the circle of people that they depend on gets smaller and smaller. And others fall through the crack because the, the, more, the less you depend on me, the less I'm going to show up. And the less I show up, the less you're going to depend on me. So part of what happens when, when churches embrace this and launch it and get it going is that circle grows. So <clears throat> how do we change this? Men are more likely to engage if they have at least one other guy they know in the group. Men will engage when they have at least one other guy they know is going to be there. It's, there's some comfort in having a friend or a buddy that's going to be at or engaged in the thing that you're doing. <clears throat> Men like knowing their pastor, but they aren't necessarily drawn to engagement because of him. If you're a pastor, I apologize. But... Honestly, there's such an awe and, and respect for pastors in most churches. I have a really hard time telling my story, the full-on story, with my pastor sitting in the room. And in fact, I had to do that this last group in September, and I was sweating bullets. But how can I get up here and talk about this to you guys and not live it out myself? So I just swallowed really hard, and I told them the whole story. And we've been um, in ministry together for 22 years. And after I finished, he looked over at me and he said, I don't think I've ever heard all of that. Like, nope, I don't guess you had. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what binds us as men. You know, it's like every time you go through the story retreat, you hear two things. I'm going to tell you guys something I've never told anybody else. And the other thing you always hear is, I thought I was the only one. It's just amazing how guys in a safe environment, guys are dying to open up. But how many safe environments are there at church? How many safe environments can you enter into and you can truly open up about where you've been and where you are and where you want to go? It's really hard to find that. If men are being led, they are more likely to engage when the leader is someone they respect. We have churches who will... Um, announce that they're launching radical mentoring and ask um, potential applicants to apply. And they'll put little bios of their mentors just because they know that the younger men in their church would give a lot to be mentored by, you know, Ben Ackerman or um, Joe Hamilton or Dennis Latimer because these guys are respected in their church, respected in their communities, have great families. So it's like, hey, that's a guy who's living this way of life. I want to learn from him. I want to emulate him. I want what he has when I get to that stage of life. So it's not who's the holiest. It's not who uh, has, has the most scripture committed to memory. It's the guy that I want to be like when I get to his stage and season of life. Number two, it's about the why. Men are more likely to engage if the opportunity meets a need that they feel that they have. And words that you use are extremely important. We take a significant amount of crap for using the word mentor. Because 
It comes from Greek mythology, and it's, it's almost heretical not to use the word disciple-making. But in 2018, based on our experience, men are more interested in being mentored than being discipled because they feel like, falsely, hey, I've been discipled. I've been in church all my life. Or they took a discipleship course somewhere along the line. Or they were in a small group that was a discipleship group. So they have this false sense of security that says, oh, I know what that's all about. And mentoring in, in our context connotes an older guy, older chronologically and or spiritually, taking his cup and pouring his cup into the younger person's cup. He doesn't have to fill it up. He's not the only guy that's ever going to be pouring into his cup. His job is just to empty his cup. And this guy, his, jo his job as a mentee is to keep getting, it poured, getting his cup poured into. And at some point in time, earlier than later, he's going to pour his cup into the cup of somebody else. And that's what disciple makers, that's what disciples and disciple makers means. I get my cup, I get it full, and I start pouring it into somebody else's cup. Men are selfish. <clears throat> they keep their radio station tuned to WIIFM, what's in it for me. And uh, they're not attracted to communal needs. We had, um, I just spoke at a commencement for a church up in South Carolina. They graduated 45 guys who were in six groups. Their wives were there. And they had a little table set up with all the books that they read. And they let the senior pastor pick the books. The senior pastor took out the book on identity and transparency and put in a book, two books about church. You want to guess which books got rated the lowest in the postseason survey? The church books. Because that's a communal need that's very important to the pastor. But the guy's got his radio station to tune to WYIFM. Guys are more interested in fatherhood than they are in marriage. Why? Because if their kids turn out to be bums, they can't blame their wife for that. Well, they will. They'll try it. But on marriage, they can blame their wives. Oh, man, she, she just she didn't get it. I did. My wife just wasn't romantic. But, boy, after she left and I surrendered to Christ and she came back, I just realized how romantic she was. Men will buy into something that fulfills a vision that they buy into. When men apply for radical mentoring, <clears throat> they're asked to tell their faith story and they get a covenant that they, they are going to be asked to sign. <clears throat> and it describes the things that they're going to have to do, like give and receive feedback without being defensive, like be at every meeting on time with their work done, like a commitment that they will pay it forward when they get through, either one-on-one -on -one or to lead a group, uh, that this whole process is, is about Jesus Christ, his message, his ministry, his word. So it's, it's totally based on scripture, and that's the vision, is for them to be a godly man. The uh, Matthew 28, 19, 20, in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, where it says, go make disciples, he, he says, go teach everyone you meet this way of life. Teach everyone you meet this way of life. Hebrews 13, 7 talks about, <clears throat> it ends with, and imitate their way of life. Talking about church leaders, those who introduced you to the word of God. So I believe men want to, to know what this way of life really is. I've had guys graduate from my group and say, you know, I knew basically what it meant to be a believer, but I didn't know how to live the Christian life. But through the course of nine months or a year, they get a little bit of a vision of what the Christian life is like from me, my co-mentor. But they get a little bit from, from uh, Evan, and they get a little bit from Joe. And they get a little bit from Daniel. And so over the course of nine months, they piece together all these little embodiments of Jesus in this group. And they get a picture for what it's like to be a Jesus follower. They can act upon it because it's been modeled for them. Bobby Harrington has helped me so much with the definition of disciple, a disciple. 
For years I said, a disciple is a learner and follower of Jesus. And I wasn't inaccurate because a follower of Jesus is someone who engages in the work of Jesus and is being changed by Jesus. But if you just say following Jesus, what does that mean? See, if I say, I want you to learn to follow Jesus and then go do it, that doesn't specify that you've got to do something with what you're getting, that you've got to replicate it and multiply it in others. So in our covenant, straight off the bat, you're signing up. You say, if you go through this, if you're going to take up my time and energy to mentor you and pour into you over the course of nine months, you know going in that you're going to go and pay it forward to, do, to, to show others, to lead a group or mentor someone individually. So I think, um, I think that, that's what I'm talking about, is that all those words are very important. Yes, sir. What are your uh, like socioeconomic demographics for what you base the program on? The world I work in, I have a real issue with like some of the observations around what men are looking for, how they act, the selfish nature, and communities, poverty, and disenfranchisement, prison, where we spend a lot of time. I would struggle with even pitching something like that, right? With the generalizations of selfishness or distractedness or the struggles around calendar. I'm curious about, is this mostly operating in, you mentioned larger churches, it feels like maybe you're operating mostly in middle upper class white type churches as opposed to a larger socioeconomic crowd. What are your uh, like socioeconomic demographics for what you base the program on? The world I work in, I have a real issue with like some of the observations around what men are looking for, how they act, the selfish nature, and communities, poverty, and disenfranchisement, prison, where we spend a lot of time. I would struggle with even pitching something like that, right? With the generalizations of selfishness or distractedness or the struggles around calendar. I'm curious about, is this mostly operating in, you mentioned larger churches, it feels like maybe you're operating mostly in middle upper class white type churches as opposed to a larger socioeconomic crowd. Out, pastor, and he came back and said, you know, you're not going to get very far. Until that church culture changes, you know, you're not going to get very far. And I, you know, I put these things in here to, to, to make the point that if you want to engage more men in your church, whether it's a 200 attender church in the backwoods of Ohio or it's a 2,000 attender church in you know, Columbia, South Carolina, you're going to face that same thing because we are inherently selfish. We are in, we, and that's, that came with our fallen nature. But yeah, the issues are different and the context is different. I don't know that this would work in a prison ministry. The biggest thing that falls apart is reading. We struggle to get it going with high schoolers, our college students, because they're already reading so much stuff. Struggle, get really low on the economic or socioeconomic scale. You usually find less educated people that haven't read a book maybe even ever and so you say here we're going to read a book a month probably not going to happen so yeah I mean by not by design but by effect that's what happens first of all this is 80% relational and 20% content you can change the books whatever however you want to change the books it won't make a huge difference unless you pick a bunch of church books that nobody is for the, for the layman who's not going to be interested in church stuff. But this is about getting to know four, six, eight men intimately and walking with them for nine months. I've had, <clears throat> I went through a lung transplant with my group. They watched me prepare. They watched me come through it. They watched me come back. We talked about that. They walked through that with me. I had a guy in my first group whose both of his boys were abused by a judo instructor at a church. Third meeting, after our retreat, he walks in and he shares that. Do you think we stuck to our agenda for the night? No, not at all. We, we, some guys wanted to become a posse and go take this guy out. Um, but we, we fundamentally talked him through. Uh, the sufficiency of God and, and his provision and we, you know, we didn't try to talk to him about forgiveness. It was just basically relax. You know, he's in jail and the guys will be in jail the rest of his life. 
I had a guy come in uh, four years ago, and we're doing our, you start off every month with a high-low. You know, what's been the high of your month or your low? I mean, we got a list of things you could start with. <clears throat> if you could, if God would answer one prayer for you, what would it be? Things like that, just to get, get everybody on the same page. <clears throat> so this guy stands up, and he says, and, and we don't normally stand, he stands up, and he says, Tuesday night, <clears throat> I was in Philadelphia, and I woke up Wednesday morning, and there was a woman in my bed. She was still fully clothed. I didn't know who she was. <clears throat> I remember vaguely that she was in the bar downstairs in the hotel where I was. And I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, she was gone, as was my wallet with $2,200 in cash and my $3,000 wristwatch. That was, that was his low. Now, being a good mentor, what do you think I said? I said, Frank, <laughs> tell him what you wanted to, what you want. I, I, literally, I said, guys, I want you to pray for a minute, and I want you to speak into Eric's life. And those guys went around one by one. First one said, have you, talked to your, have you told your wife this? Have you confessed yet? Next one said, have you sought help? Because when you're drinking and you're waking up and you don't remember who you're with and how you got there, that's a problem. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't have in a million years been as effective as those guys. A little bit of Jesus in this guy, a little bit of Jesus in this guy. So that's the things you, you walk through in the course of nine months or a year. And those are not in a typical discipleship class or seminar. This is real life, one-on-one, -on -one, with guys walking together for a season of life. And that's, you know, in the book I talk about Jesus taught using real-world issues along the way. He didn't teach, uh, he didn't disciple his guys, mentor his guys with them sitting in rows giving lectures. It was dealing with things like, taxes and dealing with things like uh, uh, adultery, <clears throat> the woman at the well, um, you know, real live issues. He, went, he stopped what he was doing and went to heal Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, he didn't see that coming. That wasn't in week six. There wasn't a fill-in-the-blank workbook page for that. So that's, that's kind of the context we try to create. Frequency of meetings, meetings, and this is still under the topic of engaging men. Um, frequency of meeting for men depends on your purpose. More frequent meetings will happen for content-specific groups. If you want to do CLC, you're probably going to meet every week because that's very content-specific. Less frequent meetings with additional one-to-one -one meetings for relationship-centric groups and informal meetups for fun activities can happen in either context. We have found that once a month for three hours doesn't take men out of other duties in their church or at home. Anybody can do three hours once a month if they know about it in advance. Um, if you, if you want to select the best men in your church you, um, to be your mentors, if you tell them this is a weekly deal for two hours, you're not going to get the best men in your church because those best men already have jobs, they're already serving, they're probably successful in whatever uh, venue of work. So that sounds sort of, um, sort of ugly, but I think it's true. We've seen it happen that way. Scheduling meetings around the men's Saul's weekend, week, work, weekday, work, uh, weekend dilemma, and attracting new men is easier to a home than to a church. We do not recommend you do this at, at church. And I say new men, meaning peripheral men to the church ministry today. We launch at our church, then we go to the home, then we go on retreat, and then we do six more sessions at home, and then we go off on retreat at the end, and then we come back to the church for a celebration the night of commencement. What day and time usually works best for y'all? Whatever works for your group. Uh, I, mine is typically a Monday night. So when I get all the guys together with their wife-approved calendars, I'll say, okay, it's, um, we started in February. And I, I, so I say, well, we are, we're sitting here, it's February 15th, so how about March 15th? And that's a Monday night. So seven guys say, yeah, I can do that. And the other guy says, I can't do that on Monday night. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I don't have a relationship with them at that point, so I don't question it. So okay, how about Tuesday night? 
How about if we think about Monday night as a baseline, but then we move a meeting here or there? A lot of, a lot of guys do it on Sunday night, but also in groups, churches, that's often a, a prime time for community groups as well. So I just try to get the sessions to be about 30 days apart so the guy has time to read the book and net it out and do the exercise. But it doesn't matter. It's just whatever the group wants to do. So do you start with a commitment from a handful of guys to be a part of the process and then you go to the calendar? Because I'm just wondering, you've got a commitment from Joe and he can't do the nights and everybody else can. What do you do? Here's, here's the way it works. And all this is on our website. Okay, so I mean, this is blow by blow on the website, step by step. But you're going to invite people to apply. It, we believe it's really important to invite men to apply, not just pick them and not let them pick you. Jesus didn't let anybody pick him. He picked them. He picked his guys. He handpicked them. So have them apply. And the application is online. We, you set up your account. When guys apply, you get an email that says, you know, the, this, this guy that you invited to apply has now applied. So you take your applicants, they give you their demographic information, and they tell their faith story. So that's the first requirement. This is not an evangelism process. This is not for guys who don't profess Christ. And it's a mistake to put non-professing Christians in, into these groups because they will become the projects and it will blow the whole thing up. So if they apply, and, they, and by the way, when you invite them to apply, you attach the covenant. So they see this is read a book a month. This is you can't miss. This is doing the homework. This is reading, giving and receiving feedback. This is about Jesus. You, you, I mean, it's, it's very thorough, and you, you have to agree that you're going to pay this forward when you're done. So they see what they're getting into before they even apply. And once you get the applications, then you group them up. <clears throat> and um, if you do more than one group to start with, we've got different processes for grouping them up. You can do a draft, just like Little League where you get your mentors together and everybody gets all the applications, prays over them and says, okay, I got first choice. You know, I want William. I, I want William um, because I've heard about him and I just think I'd love to pour in him because he went to Illinois. Um, and then the next guy says, well, I want Frank and, and just round and round. Somebody says, you know, I really would like to have William, but I've already poured into William. So I'm going to pass on him and I'm going to take so until all the groups are filled out. And you never tell the last guy that he was the last guy picked. <laughs> so once the groups are, uh, and, and by the way, everybody has to be at launch night. This is, you, you cannot miss launch night because that's when you're setting the calendar for the rest of the year. This has all been um, evolved from a selfish old man who said, if I'm going to do this, then, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it the time, open up my home, then, then you're gonna carry your weight of responsibility. I'm not gonna do the work, prepare myself, and tell you my stuff for you to show up when you feel like it. That's not, that's not a quid pro quo relationship. So that's how this all got started, and looking back on it now, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a God thing. I can't imagine Jesus saying, guys, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna go out to the, to the, to the mountain for uh, a little talk I want to give and uh, you know Matthew says uh, hey I got you know I got tickets to the masters tomorrow I don't think that happened I think they were all in and wherever Jesus said to go and I guess Matthew's a bad example right so it's Peter James and John so then you have your launch night everybody conforms to the calendar you get a book called Bo's Cafe which is a novel. It's the first book. It's easy to read, but it tells the story of a guy who's peripheral to the faith, thinks he's a believer. His marriage is getting worse and worse as is his career. And there's a guy named Andy who is his mentor who pulls alongside of him and is there in the midst of his disruption. And Stephen surrenders and Andy takes him to Bo's Cafe, which is a place where all these believers who have all these stories and who have experienced God's grace love each other more, not because they're sinners, but because they appreciate the forgiveness of their Heavenly Father. So it's, it's a really great book. It sets the stage and it gets guys back into reading and maybe haven't read a book in a long, long time. The how must be right. 
Um, we've talked a lot about this, clear expectations regarding time, the when, where, and how much. And that's by telling them, showing them the covenant before they start. It's nobody's getting surprised. It's all uh, straight up. Um, this is not a book where you look up something in the Bible and you fill in the blank. It's not a course or any of that kind of thing. When the guy writes the net out of his book, of the book that he's read, he writes it his own way. <clears throat> you know, some people mark the page number and they say on page 62, I got this quote. <clears throat> and on page 46, I got this quote. Some people net it out a whole different way. They'll do it by topic. Uh, we provide a model that you can use or you cannot use. Um, <clears throat> so they are, they're free to, to do the assignments the way they want to do it. This is a huge one. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. This is a facilitation model. This is not a lecture model. The guy in Atlanta who went to my old church had heard about Radical and, and how many people were being touched by it. And so he decided he would do a group. Well, we didn't have the website at the time. He just started doing what he thought uh, we did. And uh, so he had six guys that came the first night, and he talked for three hours. The next month, he had four guys. And he talked for three hours. And the next month, nobody showed up. Because, I, I mean, I can't think of anybody that I would want to sit to rattle on for three hours. Andy Stanley's a great communicator, but about 30 minutes or so, I start wanting, you know, drifting off. And you can quote me on that. <clears throat> Authentic interaction with other men. It, you know, the guys that you pick to do this are if you are thinking about leading a group to start with. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be yourself. You've got to trust God and trust the other guys in the group. They signed the confidentiality agreement. You gotta, you gotta trust God, so you can go in there and say, guys. And, and the thing about these groups is they become your friends, and you don't have to, you don't go in there and pretend that you've got it all figured out. Every month, when they all tell what they're looking uh, at in the eyeball uh, at, I tell them what I'm looking at the eyeball at. If I'm in a dry spot, I tell them about that. If, if my wife and I are not doing really great, I tell them about that. And, and, and they pray for me and they support me. It's like I'm supporting them. I mean, come on. We are all just followers. I mean, has anybody really got all of this figured out? Are you really following Jesus in every dimension of your life? If you, if you are, here, I'll give you the clicker. You come on up here. Because the reality is we're all, we're complete in Christ, but we don't get it. We keep going back and acting like we aren't. <clears throat> but I, I pray before a group, my group, and I'll say, Lord, what would you have me know about tonight? And every time I pray that, he says, just love them. Just love them. My uh, campus pastor was in my group, I guess, nine years ago now. And I took him to lunch. You, you do a one-on-one -on -one with each guy after the story retreat. You've read their faith story. You've heard them tell it. And so now you're going to go spend some time with them one-on-one. -on -one, and there's things that they will say to you in a one-on-one -on -one context they won't say in a group. And so we're coming back from the restaurant, and I'm driving, and he's looking out the window. <clears throat> and uh, I said, what are you thinking? And he says, I'm thinking, where in the world can I have a uh, this kind of access to a 58-year-old guy that I can tell anything. And I was like, I wish I'd had a 58-year-old guy when I was his age. I, would have done, I wouldn't have done half the things that I did, the stupid decisions that I made along the way. So it's, if, if it's, it's about being authentic and, and being available to these guys during the season. And Jesus is at the core of this. When, when you look at, and we'll talk about this in one of the later sessions, uh, I'd been doing this for seven years when the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and said, you're just doing what Jesus did. And literally in 15 minutes, Mentor Like Jesus was outlined. And it was like, my purpose in life is to be a challenger, to love and serve um, for God's glory and to challenge people to um, engage with the overwhelming love of God. Jesus, what was Jesus' purpose? I've come that they might have life and have it to the full.
you know, you can have life. You can have eternal life. You can have your church. I have, I have my Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. But all that's I. If you want to have life to the full, you've got to turn your focus outward. And you've got to become a disciple maker. We took the, the fear and trepidation out of making disciples through this process. Because it's, it's outlined in such a way. How many of you have ever done a BSF study, Bible study fellowship? Every meeting is scripted to the point, you know, you say this, you ask this question. We've got that level of detail in every month. But we knew there were a lot of type A's, so we have another level of detail. It's like five lines. <laughs> because we know that some people don't need that much instruction, don't want that much instruction. Next four sessions, the next one here, um, I'll be doing talking more specifically about the process, and then Kevin will be up tomorrow. Uh, we, get, we showed you some numbers uh, a little while ago, but we've got other things that we think churches should be measuring about disciple-making results, and we'll share some of that with you. And then for church leaders, this cycle is the same. We keep hearing, you know, except for the senior pastor, a lot of staff pastors are like, well, dang, you know, next year is going to be just like last year. My boss won't let me take any chances. Or we're doing this program, and therefore we can't really try anything new because we've been doing this for seven years. And so we can help with some strategies about how to work in and around and, and through that in your local church. And then we, on uh, the last session, we'll be talking about some of the stories of life change um, that have happened uh, through Radical. We've got some time left. Questions, comments, smart remarks. <laughs> Is there an equivalent for women? There are um, not precisely. We are, we've got three different versions that women have developed in different churches, good churches, and smart people have put a shoulder of the wheel on that. And we're going to put that up on the website. It's the same framework, but the books are different. The activities are different. The scriptures are different. They're all, What's that first <clears throat> book that you mentioned? Bo's Cafe is the first book that we recommend. We highly recommend that book to start with. It's, um, it's written by John Lynch, Bill um, Thrall, and Bruce McNichol. It's published by True Faced. Um, these guys are out of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and then Identity. I'm still looking for the best book on Identity. There's, there's a few that are okay, but I want, I want to, I want to nail, I mean, I, I want to nail it with an identity book. Yes. Yeah, you just, it, when you do co-mentors, I, I go to North Point, and our mentors are always mentoring teams of two, and, uh, but you just don't let, don't divide the group, so this one mentor has these four, and this mentor has these four. Keep it together, so you've got co-mentors mentoring all the guys. We did two, uh, when you do the one-on-ones, we did two-on-ones. We went to a coffee shop, set up camp, and we had a guy come in at 7.30 to 9, or uh, 7 to 8.30, and another guy come from 8.30 to 10. And in four days, we knocked it out with eight guys. The ideal size of a group for me is eight. Um, I started that because I only had eight chairs around my dining room table. But we've learned over the years that if you put more than eight in, Guys don't have time to share in a, a three-hour meeting. You run out of time. Um, we have, on average, about seven people in a group across all of our groups. Uh, it's grown because it used to be 5.5. But I think six is a good number. I wouldn't go lower than four. It just gets weird. You got a mentor and three guys. That's more of a, that's, that's another model probably. That's, uh, that's not radical mentoring. Just don't try to, I mean, Jesus was never in a hurry, okay? This is not about how many or how big. This is start slow. Uh, there's actually an advantage to having a waiting list because that creates more buzz, you know, from a worldly perspective. Um, I'd rather see a church start with one, two, or three groups. We had a church say they were going to launch 150 groups on a church of uh, 1,500. And we were like, no. And they finally changed up. They didn't understand what this was about. So um, I don't like the word, but you know, a lot of people use the word shoulder tap. 
you know, this is more about you know knowing someone. Your elders know. You get the senior pastor, the staff, other guys who are uh, kind of that inner circle of leaders who who kind of know the younger guys in the church, and they say, you know, that guy could benefit from this. And those are the guys that you invite. We sent out a hundred and we had 162 expressions of interest uh, nominations. We asked them to apply. We had nine, uh, 82 applications, so it's basically a 50% take rate to apply. And then we we launched 10 groups and had two on the waiting list. Almost nobody came because they had difficulty in their life. I think the I've had guys come because they thought this was a networking opportunity. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> Kevin can tell you his story. And look where it got me, right here. <laughs> but uh, I don't really care why they come. I care how they leave and what they care about when they leave. Right. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to mislead anybody. I'm not going to tell them, hey, this is a, you know, an investment scheme. But. They, if you read the covenant, you realize you know what this is. This is the Navy SEALs compared to anything else they've been exposed to in church world. And surprisingly, they want that. Uh, let me, before, before anybody else slips out, let me give you the, the biggest downside. If you don't have the cojones to uh, demand compliance, then it will not, the discipline, that's, that's right. It's, when when um, Kevin was in my group, there's always somebody that shows up late. And so, guy shows up late, and tell him what happened, Kevin. I can tell him, so it was me. Uh, <laughs> I, I strolled in about five minutes behind with a nice warm cup of coffee, and when I walked in the door, I was met with complete silence all around the table for about two minutes, felt like two hours. Um, and then Reggie very calmly but very firmly said, look, you, you just wasted five of my minutes and you wasted five minutes of everybody else around this table. Let's make sure we're here on time going forward. And I was never late. Nobody in that group was ever late again. It wasn't, it wasn't shaming. It was said um, grace and truth. But the point was made that this is high, this is high commitment stuff. And don't, don't assume this is going to be like other things. So it made a difference. I, um, I had my last meeting in my house Monday night, and this Andy Stanley was co-mentoring with me this year. And I thank at the end of our evening, I thanked everybody for uh, <clears throat> for being on time and doing their work and so forth. And as soon as I got, came out of my mouth, he said, "Well, what do you expect? You scared us all to death." <laughs> but normally, if somebody's late, and I, I didn't know this when Kevin was uh, in the group. Now, I just, I can see them coming, okay, at 7 o'clock, they're not here yet, so I just tell the guys, be quiet, when the guy comes in, it's going to be really quiet, don't say anything, don't smile, and as soon as he sits down, I'll say, okay, we can start now, get out your journals, and write this down, and they get out their journals, and I say, <clears throat> in Atlanta, Georgia, traffic is always an issue, but rarely an excuse, be on time. It's just that. It's just being firm. I've had guys call at 6 o'clock trying to give, get permission to not be at the meeting at 7 because the CEO asked him to stay for a, a, a meeting. And my answer is, you signed a covenant. You memorized Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says... Well, will you talk to him? <laughs> I said, no, I won't talk to him. You've got a decision to make. But I want you to know, regardless of how you decide, I'm with you. And he stayed for the meeting. In the next meeting, I got together with the one on one. Once he makes a decision, I just want him to face the decision and not, not get the mealy mouth wiggle off the hook that we typically give people. Next meeting he comes in, I didn't say a word. But another guy in the group who was driving back and forth from Slidell, Louisiana, nine and a half hours each way, tore his head off. He's like, you stayed for a meeting with your boss after I drove all the way up here? You cheated me. Because I need to know what you know. And you're part of this group. And it was ugly. But I didn't do it. They, the accountability that they had for each other. So bottom line, if they don't complete the assignment, they don't do the book, they're no longer in the group? No. Or what? How does that work? 
If you see the number one reason that you would ever take anybody out of the group is if they are completely belligerent and disrespectful. I'm, I've never had that happen. I've had a guy not read the book, uh, not come in with this. A lot of times they will. I didn't. Uh, my copier didn't work, and so I say, well, that's fine. Just email everybody your net out as soon as you get home. We'll look for that by midnight. And and so they know that they're just not going to be able to wiggle off that hook. But again, guys, this is so different from anything else. Once they're into it, they're into it. And you don't have to do this kind of stuff. We're so used to having to beat people into submission. So it sounds like basically you're saying if they're not going to continue, they eliminate themselves because you hold the bar high and you won't move. That's correct. I've had two guys um, not finish out of um, 
What's really fun as a byproduct of all this is to watch the mentors catch fire. You know, my, my pastor in my last church said, you know, Reggie, everybody else your age is at the, living in the mountains or going to the lake every weekend. <clears throat> but guys who lead these groups, they catch fire. It's like they have a purpose. They are adding value to the church. Um, my accountant was uh, leading the parking team. And, I, and I'd see him every Sunday morning. He's out there leading the parking team. And I'm thinking, if that's the best we can do, I mean, that guy is so wise and, and raised a great family and is a, very successful in business. And the best we got for him is to park cars. I mean, come on. And now he's a mentor. He's on his third group. And the guys that go through his group love him, love him. He's added such value to them. So his level of commitment to the church, engagement with the church has gone up. And the guys that have been through his group. Yes, sir. So, so why nine months? Because I feel like you're building these great relationships with these guys, and then that's it. Like, well, did the disciples stick together after they graduated from Jesus Group? They lived in the same town. Yeah. The idea of this is send them out. I, yeah, you're right. Every group. Oh man, we want to stick together. Kevin's group met off and on. They still meet every now and then, and they're, that's 16 years ago. Is that a part of the expectation to, that that's what they're going to do? It's after? in the covenant. Okay. This is a multiplication model. You're committing that you will pay it forward. Not everybody's going to facilitate a group, Yeah. but they can get involved in high school ministry, middle school ministry, care ministry, something where they are pouring into other people from a spiritual perspective, not parking cars, giving out coffee, you know, those kind of things. Not that any of that's bad, but yeah. being a learner and follower of Jesus and under follower means being engaged in kingdom work and being open and letting him change you. So, I mean, you can't export what you don't have. And to me, when you surrender to Christ, you start a lifelong learning process that you never stop. But when, when I started mentoring, I started listening to sermons, reading books, reading articles, listening to podcasts through a whole different lens. Because now I am I'm taking it in with the idea of pouring it out. Not just because I want to be a smarter, smarter Christian, but because I can, if I read a, a book and I'm thinking about how can I share this with the guys in my group. And I started a blog, so I'm trying to mentor the guys that have been through my group through that. So I still pour into them even though they've been through the group. Doesn't have to be in a group. There's, like I said, any, there's any number of ways they can engage, but it is life on life. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook called Fill Your Seats at discipleship.org radical. You'll find dozens of other great resources just like this one at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.